Welcome to chapel this morning. Glad that you're here. I hope that you've gotten to go outside and be in the weather. It's really nice out. Is anybody running the marathon? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. This is my request to you. My request to you is that when you pass me, I want you to pat me on the back. And I want you to say, you're doing well, Ryan. Keep going. Okay. Can you do that? Because I'm scared. No, I'm not scared, but uh, it'll be a fun time. It'll be a good time. Hey, I want you to complete these lines for me. I think you'll be able to do it. It's pretty easy. I think you'll get it when I I say it. You're going to have to say it out loud, though, so that we can communicate this together. Amazing grace, how sweet. See, you're you're brilliant. Come thou fount of. (laughs) You know, you said it. You said it like like you had just discovered it. Come thou fount of every blessing. Um, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. When peace like a river attendeth. Which one is it? My soul or my way? It is my way. Good job. This is a little newer. Give us clean hands. Give us easy. We fall down. We lay. Fantastic. Okay. Why do we do things like that? Because I want to make this point to you. That oftentimes it's the songs of our faith that stick into our minds and our hearts. And the kind of the sad reality is that, that most of us know a lot more songs and hymns than we know scripture. So it's the, it's the hymn writers and the songwriters of our faith that are really extremely important to the life of faith that we live together, to what it means to be the church. So this morning, I'm pretty excited about chapel, and we've had a great two chapels before this one, because we have one of those hymn writers here, one of those songwriters with us. If you turn to the back of most any hymnal that you find in any church, no matter what denomination you're from, if you turn to the back of the hymnal, you're probably going to find the name John Bell. And John Bell is here this morning to lead us in worship. He comes from Glasgow, Scotland, and there's a little island. There's a little island. There's a little island called Iona, and there's a small community there. And he's been part of that community. And that community has informed the life of the church through generations. And, and, and what's interesting is that most of you know more about that community than you think you do. Because some of our readings that we do during the weeks on Wednesdays and some of the songs that we sing have come out of that community. So you don't even realize we, you've sung things that, that had their, their birth there in his community. But you have. And you've read things there as well. The most interesting thing I learned about John this week is that he's the type of person who really doesn't care to have a cell phone, so he doesn't. He's the kind of person who really doesn't care to listen to his music through his, through his earbuds, and so he doesn't even have an iPod or anything of that nature. Doesn't have a driver's license. Doesn't carry a camera around anywhere he goes. Chooses to live in the moment and chooses to chronicle that with the written word. You'll notice our stage decor today, and and as is our practice on Wednesdays, we always worship on these days and have intentional times of worship. I want to tell you that John's not here to present to you or to to be some form of entertainment, but instead he's here truly to lead you. So I'm going to ask you, coming from me to you, I'm going to ask that we participate today and that we lean in and that we really seek God, what is it you have for me today? So John's going to come and he's going to ask us to sing. And I'm going to ask that you do that, that you say, yeah, I want to ask that you treat him with hospitality. He's our guest. 
and we want him to feel like this is a place of, of comfort for him. And he's the part of the part of the body of Christ. And so as he says, sing, let's sing. And as he as we have readings on the screen, let's read and let's participate. So I'm honored today. I wish I could tell you how honored I was, but I think John would not like it if I sat here and read his credentials to you. So suffice it to say that I'm honored that John Bell is here today as our guest at Baylor. So let's welcome him and let's worship alongside him. I want to thank the chaplain for that introduction and I want to hire him for my funeral. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come now and worship the Lord. Your turn, sing. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come now and worship the Lord again. More folk, come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come now and worship the Lord. Yeah, that's a little Scottish song from Zimbabwe. It's, um, we in my community we sing songs from other parts of the world because we've discovered that God is not Scottish. And I hope the people in Texas discover that God is not Texan. And the one who we worship is the one who has the whole world in his hands. For most of my life, I believed that there was one song that God had given to the Southern Hemisphere, and that was Kumbaya. We had Desmond Tutu came from South Africa to Glasgow, we sang Kumbaya. We had Bishop Ting came from China to Glasgow, we sang Kumbaya. We had Dom Helder Camera came from Recife in Brazil to Glasgow, we sang Kumbaya. Two years ago, I met a man who said he'd been to Kumbaya. He said it's a mountain town in Venezuela, and no one there knows the tune. So, in order that we can appreciate that God is the God of the whole world, we can sing songs from other cultures, particularly from a place like Zimbabwe, which is a nation which has not enjoyed the highest profile, a president who is a thug who has incarcerated and enabled the killing of many of his people, and sometimes we look at a nation like that and see it for its problem. But when God looks at the world and at individuals, God looks at their potential. And so it's that potential in Zimbabwe and in the song of its hopeful Christian people that we share when we sing this song. Occasionally my community says some words um, uh, before we worship. These aren't casual words. These are words which are true. The same way as people will in high school uh, say the oath of allegiance to the flag because they believe these words are true and worth repeating. The same way, if you're in a relationship, you might tell your girlfriend or boyfriend that you love them. If you do that once every five years, they might suspect there's something wrong with the relationship. If it's true, you say it more often. So I'm going to ask you if you would stand and share the words on the screen, and then we'll sing, Come All You People. Shall we stand? Can we see the words? We are met in the presence of God and we do not meet alone. With the angels in highest heaven, we gather. With the saints of every age. With the church throughout the world. 
by children and babies at the breast, God's holy name, with drums, sitars, and trumpets, in barrios and basilicas, and here with our hearts and our voices, we are met in the presence of God. E Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come now and worship the Lord. Come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come now and worship the Lord. Come and praise your maker. Come all, come all you people, come and praise. Come praise your maker. Come all, come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come all, come all you people, come and praise. Come praise your maker. Come now and worship the Lord. Come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come all you people, come and praise your maker. Come now and worship the Lord. Now we can sit. I come from a country in which if you go to Edinburgh, which is our capital city, you find people wearing kilts, men wearing kilts, which are kind of plaid dresses, and men playing bagpipes. And inevitably, these men are either American or Canadian. Because not many Scottish men wear kilts, apart from when we're going to play England at soccer or rugby and thrash them. And people wear kilts then, or at weddings, people very often wear kilts. I suppose the reason why people from the States or Canada wear kilts is because they have discovered that their ancestry comes from across the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm always fascinated how, when I come to North America, people will talk about their ancestry very quickly. People will say, a friend of mine will say, I'm a Polish Catholic. I meet a guy from Minneapolis. He says, I'm a Swedish Lutheran. I was working in Grand Rapids in Michigan about five years ago, and I was working in this church. I had arrived in the afternoon. I was going to preach at night. And before I preached, there was a, a kind of meal, a kind of buffet meal, kind of cafeteria style. And so I'm standing in this queue. Nobody knows who I am. That's fine. In front of me is this big tall guy. He's a man in his 70s, I suppose, and um, he turned to me and I said, um, my name is John Bell and I come from Scotland. And he said, ah, he said, I'm Jan de Graaf and I'm Dutch. Oh, meneer, so uh, you've been an echte Nederlander because I speak Dutch. Oh, no, he says, I'm not as Dutch as that. Now, this guy's pedigree was Dutch, but I don't think anybody in his family for maybe 70 years had spoken the language. And when people ask me about my pedigree, actually in Scotland, we don't really know much about our ancestry. We reckon that we're all mongrels. I mean, we, I suppose some of my ancestors will have come from Ireland because there's always been an exchange between the two countries. 
But my mother had her or someone in her family traced back her father's line. And his name is Lamberton, which is my middle name. I'm called John Lamberton Bell. And discovered that uh, it has a very curious beginning. Because it seems that 600 years ago, there was a Roman Catholic bishop of St. Andrews called Bishop Lamberton, who wasn't supposed to have any children. So he had nephews instead. And from one of these nephews or illegitimate children uh, comes my mother's father. So there's a bit of a kind of skeleton, I suppose, in my family tree as there is in the family trees of most people. It always amuses me that when people are so interested in their ancestry that there is one chapter in the Bible that no one ever queues up to read. And this is the chapter which begins the Gospel of Matthew. And it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram. You still with me? And Aram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah and Solomon. I stop there because then it goes on to words I can't pronounce. Um, Salaltiel and Zerubbabel. People don't queue up to read this. You know, if it's a church where the lay people read the scripture, nobody queues up to read this. But it's a very interesting family tree. Now, you would not notice this the way that I read it. But in it, there are the names of all the men who were Jesus' ancestors back to Abraham, and the name of names of only four women. Now, by my calculation, normally when children are conceived, there should be as many women involved as men. You know, these guys, unless they were exceptional at having babies themselves, would have needed a wife. And yet there's only four women who appear in this story. Right? I'm very curious about that. Why only four women in the family tree of Jesus? And their names are Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and the wife of Uriah. Now, I'll tell you a bit about these women. Um, it's not perhaps the most decent story with each of them. The easiest, I suppose, to talk about is Ruth. And Ruth was a woman who had been married and her young husband died. And so she um, stayed with her mother-in-law. And the mother-in-law took Ruth back to the country from which she came, from Israel. And Ruth uh, didn't have anybody to continue the mother-in-law's family tree. Uh, so she began to work for an older man, much older than herself, whose name was Boaz. And eventually he married her. And so she's one of Jesus' ancestors. The next easiest, I suppose, would be Bathsheba. She was having a bath on the rooftop, as women sometimes do. And David, the king, spied her and thought, I would quite like to get friendly with this woman. And uh, he did. And discovered that she was married to a guy called Uriah. So he managed to 
to make it such that Uriah was killed in a battle and he could have Bathsheba to himself. And that was important for him because she had conceived a son. And in the end of the day, the son dies, but Bathsheba remains David's wife. Well, they had several wives, and she was perhaps number two or number three. It gets a bit more awkward with uh, the woman called Rahab because she was a prostitute, and she's living in the city of Jericho, and the Jews, when they were trying to settle what would be the promised land, had to get rid of some tribes, and so they had this rather extravagant excursion of three spies, reconnoitering agents. Two or three of them climbed into the city of Jericho and looked at the view, would find out how best it could be taken, and they stayed overnight in a brothel, a bordello. And they stayed with Rahab, knowing that probably it would be the last place that people would look for Jewish spies. And she hid them in the attic, so that when the police came, they couldn't find these spies. And because of that, the Jewish spies said, when we come to take your city, um, we'll ensure that your family and yourself, your relatives and yourself, can escape. So she escapes, and the city of Jericho is destroyed. Tamar is the more, perhaps the most awkward to deal with, because she was a young woman who became married to a boy who was the son of a man called Judah. And he died, this boy died, without her having any children. And it was the practice in these days that if your brother died, then you would take your brother's wife. So the next in line takes Tamar, and this guy practices a method of contraception which God didn't approve of, so he dies and so she's left a foreign woman in a Jewish community without any sons to say, I belong here. There is a third boy who could become her husband. But Judah, the father of the three sons, thinks, I've lost two already to this woman. There's a curse about her. So the third boy is not going to be her husband. So how does this woman survive? She can't go back to her own people because she's no longer a virgin. She wouldn't be worthy of marriage. The third son will not take her as his wife, and she's fairly destitute. So she decides that she'll do something which seems highly unsavory. She dresses up like a tart, like a whore, and sits at a crossroad. And her father-in-law, Judah, comes back past and sees this woman is quite attracted to her but she's covered in a veil so he has no idea this is his daughter-in-law and he decides that he would like to have his way with her so he has to give he doesn't have any money so he gives her something like his credit card and says keep that and somebody will come and give you the money and you give me back my credit card so after he's had sex with her he goes off forgets all about it then realizes he still doesn't have his credit card, so he sends a man to find this whore to pay her off, but she's nowhere to be seen. Then weeks later, he discovers that there's a rumor that his daughter-in-law, Tamar, has been acting like a prostitute. And he decides this is disgraceful for the family. So he decides that she'll be killed. And he engineers her being taken to be hung or burned or something like that. And she's on her way to death, and she says, oh, by the way, um, the man who made me pregnant, this is his credit card. 
and people discover that it's this man Judah who is the father of the child in her womb and he then takes her as his wife and she has a child and she becomes part of that community the interesting thing is that these four women each of whom had rather curious sexual histories are in the Bible stated as being part of Jesus family tree now what do they have in common two things three things one they're women two each has an unusual sexual history and the third thing is that they're all foreigners none of them were Jewish they came from outside I'm in a church one Sunday when this reading is being read and what happened was that the pastor read the main bits all the men's names and when it came to a woman's name a woman in the congregation stood up and as if she were talking about her cousin or her sister she said to the congregation let me tell you about Tamar and then another woman let me tell you and, the, and she would tell the story much as I've told it but as if this was her cousin and she was talking about her family tree it's very interesting so afterwards I'm having coffee I've never been to this church before I'm having coffee and I speak to this very attractive woman who's about 32 or 33 and she's, she's got a lovely smile but she has eyes that look as if they have been hurt at one time she looks to me like a woman who's had maybe a sad history but she's come through that and she is so kind and we have this lovely conversation and I feel welcome in this place and after a while she says you know I just loved the way the Bible was read this morning I'd forgotten about it I said but all the names of all these old Jews all these things are unpronounceable oh she said I thought that was great and the way the women told these stories I said why did you like it she said I don't normally tell everyone this but I used to be a prostitute but I have met the Lord and now I'm a Christian and I've given all that up but she said I had a child by some man I don't know who it was and my son is now seven and one day I'm going to tell him what his mother was I want to be the first one to tell him and on that day I'll be able to tell him also that there is a place for people like me in the family tree of Jesus Christ marvelous marvelous that in the Bible in this funny old genealogy we should have these odd four women foreigners curious sexual history mentioned the skeletons in Jesus covered allowing all people to know that it doesn't matter their pedigree or their past Jesus will welcome them into his family tree but I'm also curious about about the fact that that it's women who are mentioned women about whom something of their past is known I discern if that's the right word that Jesus had a kind of affection for women which the church has taken a long while to emulate to copy to discover and, I, and, and by beginning to believe beginning to believe that Jesus had an affection for women I read the gospels and discover yeah that his prime example of generosity is a poor widow his prime example of faith is a woman who is hemorrhaging the people who offer most hospitality are widows 
or, or, or women who use what housekeeping they have to provide for him and his disciples. And I even discover that he sometimes uses a woman's illustration when he speaks. Now, not many male preachers do that. I can think of very few male preachers who would dare to use a woman's illustration as if everyone in front of them was masculine and macho like themselves. In Luke's gospel, Jesus does this very interesting thing. He tells a story about a lost sheep. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one that has lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons. And before I shut the Bible, I just have to keep my eye on that text because he then tells another story. Or, he says, what woman having ten silver coins on her necklace, if she loses one of them, doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that is lost. I find that fascinating. Jesus is called the Good Shepherd, and we see that, and we think of God as the one who looks for the lost sheep. And then he moves from the shepherd to this where does he get this illustration maybe it's in one of these many meals there's about 14 meals in the new testament in the gospels where he's at food with other people maybe he's at one of these meals and there's a, an old lady next to him well a lady maybe who in her, in her 50s not too old and she says to him jesus you will never know what happened to me last week i was dust in the house and you see this lovely necklace I have. It's got all these wee shiny coins which my mother collected from my grandmother. And she put them into this necklace. And I'm dusting the house and I discover that one of these was lost. So I lift the carpets and I go under the table and I go under the chest of drawers and I go under the dresser and I look everywhere. And eventually, after four hours, I find it. And I go next door and I say, Mrs. Gibson, come into my house. And I go next door and say, Mrs. Jackson, come into my house. I have a bottle of sherry. We're going to open it and have a drink because I've found the coin that was lost. Maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus, who could not have experienced this, has listened to a woman's story and ordered that to women as much as to men. He can say something about how God looks for and loves those who are lost. Those of us who are men have for a long time sheltered under the belief or the suspicion that it's only male practices and male discipleship that Jesus is interested in. But from his ancestry and from his stories, it's quite clear that in his eyes, as in God's, all people are equal. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for our bodies, male and female, for the energy which is in them, 
for the passions which course through them, for our intellect, for our imagination, for our physical strength, and for our beauty. Help us to be obedient to your expectation that we love ourselves. Not as people who are big-headed, but as people who treasure the giftedness which you have given individually to each one of us, body, soul, and mind. And so being able to cherish the gift that you have given, being able to look ourselves in the mirror and say, I love you, John. I love you, Aaron. I love you, Jennifer. I love you, Jacinth. Being able so to love the gift that you have given us, we will be liberated unselfishly to love each other as Christ loved us. Amen. I'm going to sing a song to finish and um, this song is called I'll Sing a Song of Love and if I teach the tune I'll teach it to La the words will come in a moment but the tune goes like this La 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 and then much the same da 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 dum da 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 dum la 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 that phrase la 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 this is three verses I'll do the verses we all sing the chorus and after it we'll share words there are two pages of words so don't run away after the first page which allow us to use words from scripture with which to finish our time together so if the words for the song can go up on the screen there they are and um, perhaps you'd like to stand and we'll sing here we go I will sing I will sing a song of love to the one who first loved me and I'll sing it as a child of God who is named and known and free for the love of God is is broad and deep and long, and above all else that matters, God is worthy of my song. And I will not sing alone, but with earth and sky and sea, for creation raised its voice well in advance of me. I will sing a song of love to the one who first loved me, and I'll sing And I'll sing with every soul, every
every language, every race, which proclaims this world is good for God has blessed this place. I will sing a song of love to the one who first loved me, and I'll sing it as a child of God, his name and known and free, for the love of God is good, it is broad and deep and long, and above And I'll sing for what is right and against all that is wrong. Because God is never neutral, who inspires my song. I will sing a song of love to the one who first loved me. And I'll sing it as a child of God, his name unknown and free. come some words which we'll share. Two pages, this is the first, we share these words. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We will not offer to God offerings that cost. Go in peace and seek to serve the Lord. We will seek peace and pursue it. In the name of God who made us and Christ who saved us and the Holy Spirit who keeps us in faith as it was in the beginning is now and shall be forever. Amen.